Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? This is the Believe in Blazer podcast, episode four. Yes, we've gotten to episode four. I am your host, Stephen Vaughn. I'm with my man, Tori Jones. You can find Tori on Twitter at Tori Jones YT. You can find me at Stephen underscore V-O-N. If you want to reach out to us, give us some ideas, what you want to talk about, what you like to hear. Um, if we're wrong or if we're right, probably because we're right, because we're, li- we're right a lot. I always. I mean, we're always right. I mean, that pretty much obviously. But uh, no, Tori, how's it going, man? Uh, season's coming up, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you're starting to get some Instagram posts from Nasir Little that have me hyped. Mm. We'll talk a little bit about him later on in this show. And uh, we're right around the corner, man. Media Day is in 16 days. So, you know, football's starting up tomorrow. Going to enjoy that for a couple weeks. And then it's basketball season. This is my favorite time of year. I mean, I love the off-season drama, but... I will say I can't wait to talk about games because, Tori, we're going to lead off with this, and it was a tweet by you. <laughs> that's and what we're leading with. <laughs> that's what we're leading with because it was such a controversial tweet. Like, I had to respond to you right away because I disagreed with it wholeheartedly, and maybe I read the tweet wrong, so I want to get this out in the open. I want to give you the floor, let you you know, express what you actually meant. It was about Gary Payton II. So we all know Gary Payton II signs here in Portland. Uh, three years, $29 million. He's 29 years old. He was on the edge of basically retiring and going into coaching before he stayed with the Warriors. Uh, they brought him back. He was a huge part of that championship team. Blazers bring him in to be that defensive stopper, kind of rejuvenate his career. And this is his first time he's getting big money in the NBA. And he was uh, on a podcast. He was talking to George Carl. Um, I can't think who the other person was, but I know he's talking to George Carl, the former coach. And they talked about why he left Golden State. And his quote was this. It was, Quote, I had to take the money. I had to take the money, coach. It didn't work out. I would love to go back to Golden State, but it didn't work out. Just the timing and everything. Just a business deal, and I just had to take the money. And quote. Now, Tori, you controversially tweeted out, that is not what you want to hear if you're a Blazer fan. And I thought that is insane to think that way because here's a guy that has worked his way from the G League, thought about retiring, but made his comeback was awesome in the playoffs, awesome in the finals, huge part of a championship team. Go get your money, right? Go get that money. Three years, $29 million. This is his first time he's gotten a big payday in the NBA. I don't blame it. Like, no one blames her for that. So I didn't know what you were talking about. I thought you are crazy. So here's the floor. Explain what you meant. So I broke one of my own Twitter rules, and that is to not tweet anything ambiguous that can be taken a bunch of different ways. And that tweet... I said, that's not exactly what you ought to hear. The exactly maybe was a keyword that I threw in there. Okay. It was, it was, it was ambiguous though. That's, that was the mistake I made. And people, there was Warriors fans commenting like, who would want to go to Portland? And it was taken a bunch of different ways. It was an ambiguous tweet. My whole point was if you're a Blazer fan, or at least if you're me, okay, I would want to hear him say something else on top of the money. Like, that's what I would want to hear. You know, I'd want to hear him say, I think I could take their defense to the next level or whatever. You know, just something else. I didn't have a problem with him saying the money. Obviously, he signed with Portland because he got paid more. 
apparently Golden State was willing to take him back on a taxpayer mid-level exception, which would have been about $6.2, $6.3 million uh, starting salary next year. Instead, he signs in Portland for almost $9 million, uh, and Golden State just come off a championship. Like, it's obvious that he would have returned to the Golden State Warriors if they offered similar contracts. I'm not, you know, sitting here and, and thinking that, oh, he wanted to leave Golden State for Portland, right? Because... Sadly, that's just not usually the case for, for Portland and free agents. But my whole tweet was basically, that's not, ex you don't want to hear a player say that, oh yeah, I just went there for money, which is what it sounded like to me. You would love to hear, yeah, I think I could take their defense to the next level, because he can't. That's the thing. He has that capability. And for a player that's super competitive and plays hard, I would just love, you know, some sort of competitive answer. Like, I think I can get them to the next level or something. Because I think it's a little bit of... Um, the, the past year, we signed Norman Powell to a five-year, $90 million contract. And then he came in the following season, and he was saying all the right things. But his effort was very, very poor, in my opinion, to start last season right after he got paid. We've seen in the past players get paid and then their effort it, it suffers. You know, they, they got their guaranteed contract in the NBA, it's fully guaranteed contracts. They get paid and then their effort wanes and they don't put forth the same amount of competitiveness. Now, I don't think that's the case with Gary Payton II because I think it's in his DNA to be an absolute competitor, to go out there on the court and compete. Um, so I'm not worried whatsoever, and I don't think he's going to be one of those guys, but given that the fact that we just went through this with Norman Powell, and I, you know, would want to hear him give another answer other than money, I know money, I know, I know players want to get paid, I'd want to get paid too, but that was basically my tweet, that's not exactly what you want to hear him just saying that it's, that it's basically just the money. I mean, that clears it up a little bit, again, I still... I still disagree with you because I think, like you said, I think for 99% of NBA players, it is about the money. And I know even about, I even think with Damian Lillard, our beloved David Lillard, it's about money, right? Like if he wasn't going to get that max contract in Portland, I would imagine he wants out of Portland. But he also deserves to get that money. So, you know, Gary Payton also went on and he said that he loves Oregon and Portland is great. Um, you know, he had his two years in Corvallis, obviously, when he played at Oregon State. But he was going to take the money regardless. So Portland offers him the most money. He takes it. Um, you know, you are right with Gary Payton the second though. Like he has a chance to be the best defender on this Blazers team, and he probably will be. Right? It's definitely on the perimeter. He's going to be the best defender. I can see him where he's playing a lot of games at the end of the game. He did that in Golden State in those finals. Game five, the series tied at two. He was closing out the game. He had 15 points. And then game six, the clincher, he he actually was on the court at the end of the game, clinching that game for the Warriors. So I think he could play a very similar role with the Portland Trailblazers. But you're also right on this, is that GP2, I think his makeup is a little different than Norman Powell. And maybe that's just me assuming this. But GP2 seems like the guy who is going to play hard because we saw Norman Powell. And I think it was pretty obvious he came back for the money and he, he mailed it in right away. Didn't want to be here. As soon as, as soon as Dane got hurt, as soon as the, you know, the season was off the, tra off the, uh, off the track, Norman wanted out and he wasn't playing hard. So I do understand your concern. I just think it was the wrong person to have the concern about or even say something like that because it is GP2. Like that dude plays one way he, and he always has. Yeah. See, and that's the thing. 
I'm not concerned, and I wasn't concerned when I tweeted it. And that's why I broke yeah. one of my rules with tweeting something that's too ambiguous, especially something in regards to a player taking a contract and their first big contract in the league. Like, I, I broke my rule in, in yeah. that regard. I'm not concerned. I was never concerned. It was basically just that's not exactly what you would want to hear. It wasn't even – I didn't even mean it in a negative way, but I – it got taken in a negative way, and I could see why people took it the way that they <laughs> took it. Uh, I'm not worried about him whatsoever, and I didn't hear his comments about Oregon, so that's obviously a mistake as somebody with a little <laughs> bit of a platform to just see a, what, 10-second clip and then tweet about it, right? Because, it, you know, if I heard that part, I would have tweeted anything. Like, okay, cool, you know, that's, that's something positive. It's just, like... If I was asked, even if I took the money and I didn't want to be somewhere else, you know, I might admit it. Like, yeah, I went there for the money, but also I think I can take that team to the next level, especially if I'm as talented of a defensive player as a team that's been struggling with defense. I'd be, yeah, I think I can make a real difference there as well. So I think it's a good situation for me to come in and try and uh, bring a team to the next level, you know, just like that's. That's what I want to hear. But it wasn't a negative. It wasn't a critique. It was just that's not exactly the answer that I was hoping for when he was asked the question was my whole response. No, And that makes sense. You know, I'm with you. Like, if I was asked that question, and I really did take a job for the money. I would say, well, you know, I think it's a better opportunity here and I can elevate myself and my family. I wouldn't say it's for the money. So I can't blame him for doing that, though, because I think it's refreshing to hear guys just say the truth. Right. Like, I think I love when coaches do that. I love the players of that. So I got nothing against it. Um, I do think GP2 is a good fit here in Portland. You would wish he was six foot five, six foot six, but you know, at his we wouldn't height, have him in that case. He'd right, be on exactly, a $15 million I, I, contract. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you know, uh, I think he's going to be a good fit uh, here in Portland. So, you know, I think Portland fans are going to be excited to see him. He's going to be excited to play in Portland because he's always going to have that chip on his shoulder. Always has uh, some more Twitter drama here, Tori. Nasir uh, Little. He is a, he tweeted out, I'm coming for my respect. Now, maybe that means something about video games. Maybe that's <laughs> like fantasy football respect. But I'm taking it as, you know what? I want my respect here in the NBA because my contract's coming up. I need to get a good contract. Which leads me to my question of this is, Nasir Little, we talked about this last episode. We both think Nasir Little should be given the first opportunity to be the starting three on this team. Because if he does hit and he does become a good player, he's kind of what the Blazers need, right? A good athlete that can shoot the ball, you know, semi-okay, play hard on defense, play hard on offense, give that effort every single night. So I do think this year Little should get that first opportunity. He's coming out for the respect, Tori. Is there, you know, a certain stat line you're looking for this year that you would make him think, okay, this is a good year for this year Little, and he deserves to get a pretty good paycheck? Well, before I get into maybe like some statistical goals for him, there's so many things this season that determines the Blazers success, right? Like how the Dame Ant backcourt functions together, how Jeremy Grant functions in a role where he's maybe taking a little bit of a step back from Detroit. Is Nurkic going to have a better season than last year? There's so many things that affect the Blazers success, but Nasir Little is the X Factor. If he can find consistency and he has a ton of upside as an on-ball defender, which we need, we need a, 
a lockdown guy to put up against some of the bigger forwards that maybe Gary Payton might struggle a little bit uh, against, a LeBron James, maybe even a Giannis, a Kevin Durant, etc. Those types of guys, we need that forward defender that can guard them. Nasir Little, I feel like, could be that guy, and then offensively he has some, some upside as well. So I think he is the X factor to unlocking another level for this Portland Trailblazer team, uh, simply because he has the potential to be the perfect type of starting small forward role player for the Portland Trailblazers. Now, as far as some goals go, it's more so efficiency. It's hard to it's hard to say how much he should score. And that's not really what I'm looking for him is he's the fifth option in the starting lineup. You got Dame, you got Ant, you got Jeremy Grant, you got Yusuf Nurkic. He doesn't necessarily need to score. He just needs to knock down a higher percentage of shots when he gets them. So my two main goals efficiency-wise for him would be to shoot 58% from two. He attacks the rim well. He's pretty efficient inside the arc. He gets a lot of, uh, you know, fast break dunks and that sort of thing. So he should be pretty efficient from two. But then this is the key one. And I'm curious if you think this is a good goal. 35% from three would be my three-point goal for him. I I agree with you. I think it's got to be around there. Um, You know, and I've talked about this. Numerous times about Nasir Little, you know, first 10 games of the season, he made 38.5% of his threes, and he made one a game, basically. Um, and then the next 20 next twenty games in the middle of the season, he was at 24%, and just under a three a game. And then that last 12 games, he was on fire. 40% on two makes a game. So, yes, I agree that it's got to be around 35%, but what I would love to see, Tori, is more of just a consistent, you know, have a month where he's at 38% and then a month at 33%, not these super highs, super lows of in the 40s and then in the 20s, right? So I agree, like 35% would be a great chance to do it, but I don't want to have just a 10-game, 15-game stretch where he's on fire and then he goes another 10 or 15 games where he can't hit the hoop because that's not what the Blazers need, right? You talked about the X-factorness of Nasir Little. Is that even a word, X-factorness? But the X-factor that Nasir Little could be because he plays hard, right? How many guys in the Blazers are, you know, 6'5", 6'6", athletic and play hard every night? I think Nasir Little fits that role, and I think he can also play up, right? Like, he'd be a small ball four if he has to. He can guard a bigger guy, guard a littler guy. So, to be a consistent shooter, I think that's a little more important uh, than just being up and down. But I think you're right, 35%. If it's at the end of the year and 35%, I think that's about what all you can really ask out of Nasir Little this year. Yeah, absolutely. The the key for him is just being consistently respected so that he's a floor spacer. Because when you have the offensive talent in that starting lineup, you want to give them as much space as possible so that it can function well. You want Dame Nurk pick and rolls to have a bunch of space that Dame can attack through. And, uh, you know, you don't want defenders doubling down on Nurkic when he rolls to the rim in such scenarios. So you need Nasir Little to be a consistent enough threat to to be respected. Whereas defenders have to think, okay, do I help on a Nurkic Dame pick and roll? But then that would leave Nasir Little open in the corner and he's a good enough shooter that I don't want to do that. When Nasir Little was hot, 
He was respected, but he'd have whole months where he couldn't make a, a thing, man. As you said, like he has months where he shoots 24, 25%. And during those months, I'd noticed offenders just sagging off him a little bit more, clogging up the paint a little bit more, making it a little bit harder for Dame, for Ant, for Nurkic to do what they need to do on the offensive end. So I think consistency definitely matters because you just want him to be a consistent three-point floor spacing threat. And to go to that point, just be consistent. When Alfred Camino was here, his four years, you know what he shot from three-point range? 35%. And, but and nobody, he got nobody for took, that. <clears throat> yeah, nobody took him as a threat though, right? Because he was so inconsistent, the defenses didn't even guard him and gave him open shots. And that's the fear that I have with Nasir Little, right? Amino made one and a half threes a game in his Blazer career. Nasir could be at those same numbers, but if he's inconsistent night in and night out, the defense isn't going to have to respect it. So you're right. Like it's that consistency to be a threat on the court. So it opens it up for Nurk, Ant, and Dame in the middle of the court. Yeah, absolutely. And if he's struggling from three, because this is what I've noticed in past months, he needs to cut more. Because he's, as you said, very athletic, an athletic freak, super long wingspan. He can put a poster on somebody. I'm waiting for, um, you know, he's going to have a big poster dunk at some point this year. If he's struggling to shoot threes, he just needs to cut more, especially if he has a cutting lane. Nurkic rolls to the middle of the paint. Nasir Little cuts baseline. Nurkic can pass, especially out of the short roll. So if he's struggling from three, he can offset that by cutting more, but I, I just, I want him to be that consistent floor spacing threat because he's been close in terms of shooting numbers. He shot 33% last year and he shot 35% the year before, but it's just the consistency. So it's, that, that's the two factors. Can he shoot a high enough percentage basically on the season is what I'm looking for. But then also, can he find some sort of consistency behind the arc? If he does that, man, then you got Grant out there who's a good enough shooter. You got Nas out there who's a good enough shooter. That is, that could be a lot better shooting duo for the forwards than the Blazers had without Farouk Aminu and Maurice Harkless. And then I have more trust in, in Nas and Grant to take guys off the dribble um, and to do more things on the offensive end. And defensively, I think they have some upside. Nas just needs to be that lockdown guy. So uh, it, it all starts and ends, though, with Nas being consistent. No, I think that's where it is. It's the potential on the defensive side for me, right? If Nas and Jeremy Grant can be threats on offense that defensive potential could be really good and something the Blazers haven't had for years. So I'm with you. Like, these are big moments for Nasir Little this season just to be a consistent shooter. Uh, so, uh, you know, I want to just bring up one more thing with Nasir and see what you think. You know, you know these don't have to be permanent numbers that you think, but last year, Nas, as a starter, 23 games, averaged 11.6 rebounds about, shot 34% from the field. Uh, if not, let's just say Nas is the majority starter at the three this season. What would be a successful year, numbers-wise, points, rebounds, assists? Uh, you already said the three-point percentage is 35%, but you know, points and rebounds, what, what would you think is a good year for this year, Little, this year? So I expect them to play about 25 to 30 minutes per game. So with that in mind, I would say eh, 11 points per game and six rebounds. 
uh, maybe one and a half assists. I just want him to have more assists than turnovers, basically. I don't know how much he's going to play make, if at all. Um, but I will have a series on my main YouTube channel where I go through some statistical goals for other players coming up uh, at the end of this month. So uh, definitely go check that out on Blazers Uprise. But uh, per 36, 14 and 8, 14 points, 8 rebounds. Uh, you know, if you extrapolate it out to 16 or 36 minutes, I think would be the goal. It's just hard to say because I don't know how much he's going to play. I think he's going to start, but that could mean he starts and plays 20 minutes per game. That could mean he starts and plays 32. So, um, my, my best, my best guess would be 25 to 30 minutes and then 11 points, six rebounds would be my goal. What about you? Yeah, I think you're right on. You know, last year, like I said, he averaged uh, 11 and six basically in about 30 minutes a game when he was starting. Uh, off the when he came off the bench, it was 21 and a half minutes, eight points, five rebounds. I think you're right. I think it's just double digit points, uh, five five rebounds at the minimum. You would love to see six because he is so athletic. Uh, you know, maybe get an offense rebound here or there. I think that's an area where he can really thrive, like you said, with those dunks. Right, he could be flying in there and get some offensive rebounds. Get some cheap points that way. I, and I want to see that in Nasir, right? Nasir's got to be that bulldog that plays tough every single night, plays hard, bees athletic. So um, I'm with you. I, I think 11, 11 and 5, 10 and 5, 11 and 6, right around there. I think that would be a good number uh, for Nasir Little this year. And if he does that, you know, he's definitely proven that he can play in the NBA as a starter or a role player off the bench and be a good contributing player. So yeah, definitely go check out uh, Tori's series that he'll have about stats on Blazer Uprise. That's going to be awesome as he always does good work in there, or just check out Blazer Uprise in general. Uh, him and Eric, they do a great job there. Uh, you know, so Tori, I made up a couple lines last week, and, you know, I have a lot of other lines. I'm too I'm too much of a gambler. Like, I just want to be a, <laughs> I just want to be a bookmaker. So, uh, like, that's my dream job, I think. It'd be great. So I made a couple more for the Blazers here. I want to run them by you, see what you think. Uh, so first of all, this first one is about Damian Lillard. And last year, he averaged 30, or in his career, he's averaged 36 minutes a game in his career. Last year, before the season, Chauncey Billups said, you know what, I want to get those numbers down. I want Dame to play less minutes than that. Now he's coming off the injury, says he's 100%. Over under here, Tori, does Damian Lillard play over under 34 minutes a night? Does Chauncey get that number down, or is it back up to 36, 37 like he usually does? Well, looking at last year, Dame played 36.4 minutes per game, and he was hurt, so Chauncey didn't really succeed no. with that. But the yeah. Blazers were losing a lot of games. Right, so. Chauncey, Chauncey did not do what he set out. And I remember at the start of the year, there was a game where Dame played the entire second half, and I called him out big time. I'm like, you cannot allow your best player to be playing the entire second half in you know a quote-unquote meaningless game at the start of the season, right? Like in the playoffs, okay, maybe a different story. But when you're just playing on a random Wednesday night, you can't be playing Damian Lillard 24 minutes in the second half. Yeah, here are the two factors that I think determines how much he plays. The first one is actually the Blazers' style of play. If they're playing at a faster pace and more aggressively on the defensive end, you're going to expend more energy if you're Damian Lillard doing that. So in that scenario, I think Chauncey goes with a deeper rotation and tries to limit the minutes a little bit more compared to in the past, the Blazers have played a pretty conservative defense. Dame hasn't played much defense and he's been able to conserve energy for the offensive end and then do what he does best. So I think the style of play matters. And then also are the Blazers in a lot of close competitive games or are they getting a lot of blowout wins, blowout losses? That's kind of the other, the other thing that determines this. I think early on in the season, 
you're not going to see Dame play less than 35 minutes per game. The Blazers have a super hard schedule through November through December. So I think early on, it's going to be, wow, he's still playing 35, 36 minutes per game. I don't think the Blazers are good enough to avoid a bunch of competitive games. But on the flip side, you have a lot of guard depth. And if Shaden Sharp looks good this year uh, and gets some minutes and you got Hart, you got GP, you got Ant, then, then maybe you can live with playing Dame 33, 34 minutes per game. But it's just as hard to get a guy like that off the court because of how good he is. So uh, I expect him to play more than 34 a game. Yeah, I'm with you, and I my hope is that it's around 34 minutes. Like, this number is more of a hope for me because this is what I think is best for Damian Lillard to, you know, make his career longer, right? We've seen in the playoffs he's been awesome, but even in that uh, Western Conference Finals run, it wasn't Dame that won the games in, in Denver. It was CJ McCollum, right? Dame would look tired in that series. He was awesome in the first series. And so I just want to see him at his best in the playoffs. I think we all want to see that as Portland Trailblazer fans. And so I think for Dame to do that and just make his career go longer and longer and be as effective as he is, they got to get those minutes down, right? There's got to be some meaningless minutes that he's not playing that Chauncey can get him out of the game. So I would love to see in around 33, 34 minutes a night. Uh, but I'm with you. I think the Blazers will be in too close of games and the schedule's too tough where they're going to need Dame to play 37 38 minutes a night a lot especially at the start of the year when that schedule is very tough so I think it's a I think it's an easy over but my wish is to hit the under on that one yeah in the past too is the offense has struggled with him off the court you've had CJ McCollum you've had Carmelo Anthony in the past and his cancer you've had some decent offensive players but there's been an obvious downtick uh, when Damian Lillard's off the court, which makes sense. He's one of the most talented offensive players in the league. But I think the other thing that determines this is how good does the bench play? Is the bench still a really good offensive unit with Anthony Simons? You got Josh Hart. Um, maybe you stagger Nurkic and Grant a little bit. So you have one of them playing some minutes with the bench unit. Uh, you could have a good enough bench unit where you could ride that unit for a little bit longer. Because during the course of a game, the bench unit starts struggling, starts giving up a lead or starts falling behind. And as a coach, it's hard not to sub back at your best player in those situations to stop the bleeding. If the bench unit is succeeding and maybe building on leads or, you know, not losing, you know, not losing games that are close, then it's a little bit easier to keep Dame on the bench longer. So uh, I think the bench unit matters and how, how good they are. 100% agree with you on that one. I think it's very important what they do when Dame's off the court because it's always been struggles. And it seems like this year they got some guys that can maybe handle the offense a little bit better. So I think that's a great point here. All right, here, I got one more I want to throw at you. This is a more... Who's more likely to have this happen? All right, is it more likely that Shaden Sharp wins the Rookie of the Year, Anthony Simons wins Most Improved Player of the Year, or Damian Lillard wins the MVP? I can give the odds right now. Uh, I just looked these up. Uh, Shaden Sharp, he uh, he actually has the lowest odds out of all three of those guys. It's kind of surprising uh, to me a little bit. But right now, Rookie of the Year, Shaden Sharp is 18-1. to 1. Uh, Most Improved Player, Anthony Simons, 25-1. to 1. MVP, Damian Lillard. All the way down at 50 to 1. Tori, what is most likely to happen out of those three? 
I don't think I don't think Anthony Simons is winning most improved because I don't think he'll have the numbers jump necessary. You look at John Moran to average 19 points per game and then he he had to get it all the way up to 27 right. to win the award. Definitely. And Definitely. a lot of people said his teammate Desmond Bain deserved it, not him. So like Ant would have to average 25 a game next year. I just don't think that's going to be possible. I don't think Shaden Sharp is a good rookie of the year pick simply because I don't think it's I don't think there's a chance that he gets the minutes necessary to win rookie of the year. The only way that happens is if the Blazers have another season like last year where they tank, but still it's it's at the start of the year he's not going to be playing 30 minutes a game. I would be shocked if he's playing anywhere close to that. So I think Shaden Sharp is not a good rookie of the year bet. So I would actually have to go Damian Lillard winning MVP because he's been close in past years and he's now healthy and he'll get the minutes necessary. And we know that he has the talent to average 30 a game. If this Blazer team uh, comes back to relevance and maybe has home court advantage and Dame puts up another season where he's averaging 30 and eight, I mean, he he's definitely in the conversation for MVP. So that would actually be my bet in regards to those three i actually agree with you surprisingly i agree with you i think i think damian lillard uh 50 to 1 is the right bet i'm with you anthony simons is a chance to win mip was last season um i just don't see the minutes and the stats enough to put up for shane sharp dame could come back and be healthy right and this is totally possible that dame comes back averages 30 a game plays a bunch of minutes the blazers somehow sneak into that four, five seed at the best they could possibly be. And he's considered for MVP. So I am actually totally with you on that one. You know, you can actually bet Dave to average 28 points a game and the Blazers to make the playoffs seven to one. I think it's a solid number. You think Dave's going to come back and the Blazers are going to be good. Um, I got one more for you real quick here. Uh, There is a line for the first game of the year. Blazers at Kings. We got Kings favored by a point. Tori, is that correct? Uh, probably a correct line, but I'm taking Portland in that situation. I think Portland's going to be hungry this year, man. And, uh, we saw Sacramento beat Portland in the season opener on, in Portland on the Blazers home court last year. So, you know, that's probably not in the players' minds or anything, but I just think Portland's the more talented team. It's Keegan Murray's first game and Jeremy Grant is actually a, a good defensive player to put up against Keegan Murray because, Keegan Murray is not a guy who's going to run many pick and rolls, and he's kind of the key for them this year, despite him being a rookie. He's an NBA-ready starting power forward that can knock down threes and do some things off the dribble, but I think Jeremy Grant is actually a really good matchup to put up against them. And then it's De'Aaron Fox and Stamonis Sabonis versus Dame Ant and Nurkic. I think the Blazers are going to come out and win opening night. Um, not comfortably, but about five to six point win. So if that line moves to Portland favored by one or two, I'd still roll with Portland. That's just my gut feeling going into the year. What about you? Yeah, uh, I'd be on the opposite side. I think the Kings are probably going to win the opening night. I think it's just because it's at Sacramento. You talked about just the emotion that it's going to be. I think the Kings, we all know that they want to make the play in this year. I think they're going to be hungry just in game one. Um, I do think the Blazers are ultimately better than Sacramento on the season, but uh, that that situation I would take the Kings. But we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens as the season gets on and it gets closer. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe there's some more news about rotations, which we will touch on in another episode of what we think the Blazers' rotation will be. But uh, we, we'll still find out. There's one more thing I want to talk about, Tori, before we uh, get out of here, and that's more just NBA general news. As Sham Sharani uh, reported, 
that there's a current framework framework in the works right now for the NBA of an in-season tournament that would be as soon as 2023-24. And uh, per his sources, there would be cup games that would run all the way through November and then eight teams advance to a single elimination tournament in December while the other 22 teams will continue on with the regular season games. And all the games that happened a part of this in-season tournament would count as regular season games as well. And then whoever made the finals, they'd have one extra game. And so if you actually make it to that eight-team tournament, uh, there would be determined prizes. They haven't determined what it would be, but there would be prizes for all eight of those teams. And then obviously more prizes for champions and runner-ups and all that. So I know you got, I know you got some thoughts on, uh, in-season tournament for the NBA. Just what, what are you thinking about that? I got some thoughts and I got some questions, man. So is the schedule not set in stone when they come out with it? Because you could have eight teams advance to the single elimination final. I, I'm wondering how they do that, right? You have cup game through cup games through November. So I assume that's part of the regular season, but they just count towards the tournament. And then is there just a week in December where you don't have games scheduled, but you're guaranteed to play two or three games or whatever, and you don't know who it is, who it's against yet. I'm just curious how that sorts itself out in terms of scheduling. I think that's probably the best way you could do that. Just have a week in December where you don't have any game schedule, but that's when the tournament is. And then if you don't make it, then you play regular season games against whoever. If that's the case, that's probably the best way they can deal with that. But then it's also a situation where if you play better in November, then it's going to hurt your regular season record a little bit because you have to play probably better teams in December during that week, right? If you struggle in November, you get a little bit of a handicap because you don't have to play in the eight-team single elimination tournament against some of the best other teams in the NBA where that counts towards your regular season record. So that is my question with this is is it really a situation where oh we played really well in November and we made this tournament now um you know now we have to face harder teams and it's going to hurt our record and also if it happened this year the Blazers probably have the hardest schedule in November out of any team in the league and during an 82-game regular season, that's enough games where the schedule ends up being pretty even. You play a certain number of, or a certain amount of teams in your division, in your conference, out of your conference a certain number of times, and it evens itself out. But during only one month, you're going to have wildly different strengths of schedule that will determine this thing. So there's just so many things that have to be ironed out with this to make it even remotely feasible. And then on top of that, are players really going to care? The prizes have to be good enough. It has to mean enough for the players to actually want to partake in this. It's I've been against the idea of this because I just feel like in the end, they're going to come out with some sort of system for this where there's like two or three things that are broken with it and don't work and just make it something that shouldn't be a thing. If they can get everything right which I, I, I don't know how they can do that, but if they can get everything right, then I'm okay with it. It could be something fun. The regular season gets a little bit mundane at times. It's just, it's hard to come up with a format that checks every box. Yeah, that that's my thing about it, is what are the prizes going to be that can inspire the star players to want to play in it, 
right? Like the whole thing is so hopefully that guys aren't resting and they're not load managing. But if I'm a star player, why do I care about this in-season tournament more than a regular season game? There's Even if I were to win an in-season tournament, does that add to my legacy? Does that add to my Hall of Fame case? Like, no, like it doesn't. Is that going to give me more money? No, I'm going to take those days off. I'm going to take those games off. So I just don't see like what the point of it is. So I'm kind of with you. Like, in theory, I think it's really good because, you know, they did the play-in tournament and the play-in tournament has been such a success, right? Like, I, I don't know if you agree with that. I think the play-in tournament is awesome. How I love put the, the play-in se- tournament. Yeah, the 7 through 10 works great. It adds just, you know, a highlight game that night. Everyone's watching. All the fans are. But we all know that they're going to probably lose in the first round of the playoffs, right? So, like, what is a single elimination really going for? If I'm Damian Lillard, I don't care if I win the win the in-season tournament. I want to make the playoffs, right? If I'm LeBron James, I don't care about the tournament. I'm already one of the best players of all time. It's not going to add to my legacy. So, that's my thing. Like, are the prizes really going to be that good where it motivates players to play? Or is it more of just, like, a showcase for, you know, whoever wants to win the tournament? I don't know, man. I just... It doesn't seem like it's someone. It's something for me. It may be something for other people, but for me, man, I just don't get it. Yeah, there's been a lot of backlash towards the idea that I've seen on Twitter. Uh, the one concern I have with this is it says that two teams will play an extra game, and it sounds like that doesn't count towards your regular season record, and that would be the tournament championship. If that game doesn't count towards your regular season record, if the prizes aren't good enough, at the end of this, you could just see a team say, oh, well, this game doesn't matter. This game doesn't count. We're going to play our end of the bench, guys. If that happens, it ruins the entire thing. It ruins the entire in-season tournament. So the prizes have to be like each player on the roster gets $2 million or so. I don't know. But at that point, is that even reasonable for the NBA to do? That's that's kind of my my whole thing with this. Or is it a situation where, and this is what I would do, if you win the in-season tournament, you win every tiebreaker with every team in your conference, right? It doesn't count towards your regular season record, but you win the tiebreaker with every team in your conference when it comes down to playoffs, Maybe that makes sense, maybe that doesn't, but it would make the game matter without making there be a two teams with an 83-game record. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, you play 82 games, should it really matter if they win a tournament to determine, like, playoff seeding? I I don't know. I struggle with the whole idea. I mean, I there's got to be something that makes it worth it, but at the same time, I don't want it to be too much, right? Like, I don't want it to affect the outcome of the season. So, you know, guys get prizes already for doing the dunk contest and nobody wants to do it, right? So I don't understand. I don't see what the prize is going to be that says, all right, I'm going to do this in-season tournament and I'm going to care about it a lot. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a swing and a miss for me right now, but uh, the NBA has done things like that in the past and they succeed. So we'll see what happens with that, man. I, I don't have a lot of faith though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one thing that they're doing right is they're counting it towards the regular season. So, yes, you know, it's you already got a bunch of regular season games. Might as well make them worth something a little bit more so that you could have never done this if you counted the whole eight team tournament part of it. If you didn't count some of those games towards the regular season. So it just sounds like the championship game doesn't count. That's why they have to incentivize with some sort of prize. And I think that's what it comes down to with this. Yeah, and again, all the all the details haven't been ironed out yet. So uh, hopefully those come out 
a little sooner as we find that out. But that's uh, that's going to wrap it up for episode four of the Believe in Blazer podcast. Again, please subscribe, like, comment, do all those things. We do appreciate it. You can catch me at Stephen underscore Vaughn, V-O-N, on Twitter. Catch Tori at Tori Jones YT on Twitter. Hit us up. Uh, suggestions, questions, comments, anything going with this podcast. We really do appreciate it. So with that, we are going to sign off and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.